0: Isaiah 41, verses 1 through 7, these are God's words. Keep silence before me, O coastlands, and let the people renew their strength. Let them come near, then let them speak. Let us come near together for judgment. Who raised up one from the east? Who in righteousness called him to his feet? Who gave the nations before him and made him rule over the kings? Who gave them as the dust to his sword? has driven stubble to his bow, who pursued them and passed safely by the way that he had not gone with his feet, who has performed and done it, calling the generations from the beginning, I, Yahweh, and the first, and with the last I am he. The coastlands sought and feared the ends of the earth were afraid. They drew near and came. Everyone helped his neighbor and said to his brother, Be of good courage. So the craftsman encouraged the goldsmith. He who smooths with the hammer, inspired him who strikes the anvil, saying, It is ready for the soldering. Then he fastened it with pegs, that it might not totter. So far the reading of God's inspired and inerrant work. Most of the time when someone reads... Isaiah 41, uh, verses 1 through 7, it's quite obvious the silliness, the foolishness uh, of the idolatry uh, because of the way verse 7 is worded. Uh, but one thing that might be missed is the invitation of God at the beginning of the chapter. And I think the chapter divisions are one of the reasons that we do that, because uh, when we read, Keep silence before me, O coastlands, and let the people renew their strength, let them come near then let them speak let us come near together for judgment uh it sounds like a challenge uh when you just read it all by itself because it's a judgment scene and god is saying come near uh although the word judgment is uh here not uh condemnation or verdict or sentence uh, it means uh it means decision maybe verdict is close uh but when he says let the people renew their strength taken by itself It sounds like he's saying, let's see how strong they are when they come near me for judgment. But it is not by itself. It is the very next verse after, those who wait on Yahweh shall renew their strength. And it's using the same language. We've already seen it a couple of times in the book of Isaiah, where even Assyria and Egypt... And the coastlands, as they're mentioned twice in this passage, uh, even Assyria and Egypt are invited to come and participate with and belong to the people of God and to God himself. And so this is continuing a theme that we're going to see again several times by the time we get to the end of the book. God is saying, The invitation to be one who waits upon him and renews your strength is not just for the Israelites. It's not just for the Jews. In fact, it's for you. And we know now, because he has revealed himself finally and fully in his Son, that this is an invitation to belong to him through union with Jesus Christ, to believe into Jesus and be adopted by the Father, as his own dear child, and to be indwelt by the Spirit of the Father and the Spirit of the Son, who communicates to our hearts who the Father is to us and who the Son is to us. Uh, and even that by itself renews our strength just to remember who the triune God is and how he has revealed himself to us in the Son and how he has redeemed us for himself in the Son. And that's what, is, that's what the invitation is to become even if you're at the coast from the coastlands and coastlands we've seen a few times and um it's one of the ways that isaiah and not just isaiah other uh other parts of the old testament as well coastlands uh, is uh metaphorically used or representatively used uh for the farthest ends of the earth in fact uh, he's going to say that isn't he uh the coastlands sought and feared the ends of the earth were afraid uh, in verse 5 so anyone Any uh, one who sinned in Adam and fell with him in his first transgression is invited now to leave off being in Adam and wait upon the Lord, belong to the Lord, and be in the Lord, even before we knew specifically that it was in the Son and his name would be Jesus. Uh, Although we already do know, don't we, from earlier in this book that his name would be Emmanuel, which is what the angel told Joseph is the reason for naming him Jesus. But even before the Son became uh, flesh, the Word became flesh in order to redeem us, there is this invitation to wait upon the Lord, and instead of dying and decaying like we do in Adam, to inwardly at first, in our soul, uh, be renewed in strength and to be given whatever strength we need for whatever God has appointed to us, uh, and also uh, an inherent implicit pro- promise here of the resurrection. Uh, and so this uh, this wonderful divine invitation. Uh, but then the divine initiative. Uh, one of the things the Lord sometimes does uh, in time uh, is he raises up those who create terror and trouble so that when we find ourselves in the midst of the terror and trouble, we will cry out to him, Uh, And we will come to him uh, in faith. Uh, Another thing he does in, and one of the ways, sorry, one of the ways that he does that in time is even to those who are persecuting his people. He'll raise somebody up who delivers his people and that one will destroy others. And the Lord will make known, even like we're singing in the end of Psalm 109 this week, the lord will make known that it is his hand uh, who does this uh, and that it is he uh, who does this uh, and he will bring uh, people to faith in him uh, in that way now we're going to hear very specifically uh, about cyrus the persian by whom the lord is going to deliver his people out of their babylonian captivity and Uh, and who is going to be very successful in war. Uh, We're going to hear him uh, prophesied by name at the beginning of chapter 45, and we're going to hear about his exploits in chapters 45 and 46. Uh, In fact, this is one of the reasons why, as the church declined and people ceased to believe in God and submit to him, they started saying, well, this part of Isaiah couldn't actually be written by Isaiah. I mean, how could he know uh, what... Uh, what someone over a hundred years after he died was going to be named, and what he was and what uh what he was going to do, well, because uh no one prophesied of themselves, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. that's how he knows uh, and so Cyrus is this one from the east and one from the east is bad news uh if you are uh if you are in Palestine, if you are in Israel. Uh, All that ever comes out of the East are these Mesopotamian warrior tyrants. And and he asks, who raised up one from the East? Who in righteousness called him to his feet? uh, Who gave the nations before him and made him uh, rule over the kings? Uh, Is actually calling him to take the nations that are in front of him uh, and whatever nations he takes. He rules over them. It's so very similar to in Psalm 2 when God tells the Son, uh, his only begotten Son, his anointed, which he's actually going to call Cyrus as a picture of Jesus, his anointed uh, in chapter 45 and 46. Uh, and uh, and he sends him to destroy. Uh, in the case of Psalm 2, it's a rod of iron dashing Uh, The nations to pieces and the other kings to pieces. Very similar here in Psalm 41. He he gives the kings and the nations as dust to his sword and driven stubble uh, to his bow. Uh, And in verse 3, the Hebrew is even a little bit more difficult, but he pursues them and passes safely. Uh, And then, by the way, that he had not gone with his feet. Uh, the picture is that the victory is so complete and so total that as far as cyrus is experiencing or as far as the persian army is experiencing it's almost like peacetime in fact if you look for his feet if you look for his footprints you can't find them uh the the image there is he is walking so lightly that he is that he's not even looking foot uh, footprints, the only reason you know that he's gone through is because the nations and the kings are made like dust and stubble that's the that's the whole word picture there in verses two and three. So who called this warrior king over uh, over all the kings from the east? And we have a clue in verse two uh, b, the second line there who in righteousness called him to his feet. Well, there's only one who calls in righteousness. Uh, just like um, if we were to wonder in Romans 8, when it says, he who subjected it in hope, well, it can't be the devil. <laughs> it can't be man. The, the one who subjects in, in hope uh, or in expectation of what he's going to do, that's God there in Romans 8. And here in righteousness, uh, he called him. Uh, that, of course, uh, is God, and so there is here the divine initiative. Uh, in fact, Cyrus is a picture uh, of our Lord jesus uh, and uh, and Jesus' victory is actually going to be even more complete. Uh, you remember in Revelation nineteen when you have all of the hosts of heaven. The holy warrior angels and their ten thousands of ten thousands. So an army of hundreds of millions. Uh, and you have, uh, the innumerable multitude of the redeemed saints. And then on the other side are, um, are the beasts and, uh, and Satan and, uh, all, uh, uh all of his armies and the Lord Jesus binds. Uh, binds the leaders, casts them into hell, and the rest are slaughtered with the sword that comes out of his mouth. So that army of hundreds of millions didn't get to do anything because of how easily and completely and entirely the battle is won. Uh, And so the Lord's divine initiative then uh, is uh, with this conqueror who is raised up and his conquering is complete, but for he himself um, it is done in peace. Uh, and then he asks again, he repeats the question once he's given all these details uh, in verse four, he repeats the question, but now he adds uh, an even bigger clue: who has performed and done it, calling the generations from the beginning? Well, there's only one who's there in the beginning, so he says, "I Yahweh, and the first, and with the last i am he this wonderful uh statement of some someone that can only be Yahweh. There are no uh, angelic creatures, however high, who can call themselves Alpha and Omega. There's no creature at all. Only the Creator calls himself Alpha and Omega, so that when Jesus takes Isaiah 41.4 as a title for himself in Revelation 22, verse 13, it is crystal clear whom he is claiming to be, isn't it? He is claiming to be Yahweh, the one true God. Uh, And so uh, he says, who has performed and done it, calling the generations. So that reminds us that it wasn't just one slice of time in what Cyrus was going to do uh, several decades, more than a century from the time that this was written. The Lord is sovereign over every generation of history. He is the first and he is the last. He's sovereign in the first generation. He's sovereign in the last generation. And he's sovereign in all of the generations in between. And so when you say, who has done this? You know, when whatever happens with this election that is coming up for president and uh, for however many seats in the Senate and the uh, and the House and all of the local elections, you say, who has done this? Who has raised these people up? Well, there are human instruments by which it occurs. You know, Cyrus didn't materialize out of thin air with no political or military uh, circumstances surrounding it. But all, the ultimate answer to who has done this is the Lord, and even the Lord Jesus, the Alpha, the Omega. And how has he done it? He's done it in righteousness. And so there's this divine initiative, and whatever we see him raise up, we run to the Lord Jesus whenever we are, uh, when, whenever we are overrun, whenever, uh, uh, whenever something dreadful comes in the wise and righteous and good providence of God. Now there's a response in verse five and it sounds like it's going good. So you have divine initi, divine invitation and then the divine initiative. And then the human response, sadly, the human response turns out not to be human accepting the divine invitation, or humans submitting to and trusting the Lord in the divine initiative. But instead you get human innovation. So verse one, keep signs before me, O coastlands, let the people renew their strength, let them come near. Let them, let us come near together for judgment. And then you have this response in verse five. The coastlines saw it and feared. The ends of the earth were afraid. So now they're, uh, they have fear, which is a right response, but it doesn't turn out to be godly fear, which produces repentance. It turns out to be fleshly fear, which produces terror and destruction. They drew near and came, just like he had said, let them come near, let us come near. They drew near and came. And then verse six does not say, and they waited upon the Lord and they renewed their strength. Instead, it said, everyone helped his neighbor and said to his brother, be of good courage. And so rather than renewing strength and trusting in the Lord, They found unity in the community of the worldly. Unity for unity's sake or unity for mutual reinforcement without the Lord is not just worthless without the Lord. It is wicked. It is unity like unto Babel. And so rather than renewing their strength with the Lord, they told each other, be of good courage. But what was their What did they apply their courage to do? So the craftsman encouraged the goldsmith. So you've got the craftsman and the goldsmith. He who smooths with the hammer. So you got the the hammering smoother. Inspired him who strikes the anvil. So you've got the at the anvil striker. Saying, it is ready for soldering. Then he fastened it with pegs that it might not totter men trusting in the works of it, their hands but even the finest work that they could provide needed to be stabilized and fixed in place so that it wouldn't uh, succumb to the dagon problem uh, and fall uh, in its face uh, on its face later in the isaiah 45 46 section where cyrus is destroying babylonians one of the Things that is going to happen to people who have fallen into the Babylonian religion is they're going to have these, these really well made bell statues and Nebo statues. Um, but they're too heavy. And when they put them in the, in the cart, the ox can't pull it. And ox and cart and gods all go into captivity together, uh, to Cyrus, uh, the Persian. Uh, but here, just the folly of trusting in the works of our hands and pulling all together to trust and encourage one another in the works of our hands. Uh, And uh, lest we think that the age of trusting in the works of our hands is over because uh, we don't bow down to uh, gold and silver statues, uh, which give us a few years, we'll get there. Um, But we do, don't we? live in a world where the whole world is connected together now and encouraging one another. And there are some outlier countries. But generally speaking, the world comes together and does what they can with the work of their hands. And we trust in the works of our hands to save us. But it needs our help just to get smoothed. It needs our help just to be formed. It needs our help just to be maintained so that it doesn't crash. Uh, and anyone in IT has suffered a crash of uh of something we made now it's not wrong to make things with our hands that are useful it's wrong to make idols of course uh, but it definitely is wrong to take our courage and our help and trust in the works of our hands and we have an epidemic of that uh, in fact the pandemic just showed how bad the idolatry epidemic uh, has become as we trusted in ourselves and suffered even the temporal consequences for it. So what a worthless and wicked response when God himself has welcomed the ends of the earth to come and be those who wait upon him and renew their strength. Lord, help you, my dear family, uh, to wait upon him and trust in him and not trust in the works of your hands. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for how you have called us to yourself, uh, even as uh, you will say later uh, in this book of Israel, all day long I stretched out my hands to disobedient and contrary people. O Lord, don't let us be these disobedient and contrary people. We thank you for those whom you have appointed to us in our life, that we may walk with you together. Uh, And for the fellowship that you give us, uh, that we enjoy in being drawn near to you, um, and so drawn near to one another. But, O Lord, help us not to trust in man. Help us not to put our trust or our hope, even in the dear ones that you have uh, given to be our helpers in the earth and uh, to spend our life with. Help us to trust only in you grant that we would not put confidence in princes or depend on a son of man. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would indeed renew our strength. We pray that whoever you raise up and whatever you do in your righteousness, you would not let our hearts falter, but grant that our fear of you would be greater than any fear of providence and that it would be a reverence, reverential fear like dutiful children who know that we are dear to you Help us, O Lord, to experience the providence in our life in this way, that we may rest only upon you and rejoice in you. Thank you for revealing yourself as Alpha and Omega, especially in our Lord Jesus. And so stir our hearts up evermore to faith in him, even as we ask these things in his name. Amen.